Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Soccer Speakeasy. The crew played a real soccer game for once, 126 days, embarrassed its rival on national television. Hope everyone is caught up on their sleep or has conceded to at least an irregular sleep schedule with these late kickoffs. I'm Jacob Myers, crew beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch and host of this week's episode. Michael A. Race and Kyle Robertson are off this week, so I'm delighted to be joined by Chris DeVille of Columbus Alive, who writes periodically about the crew and has followed the club for many years. Chris, how have you been? I'm feeling pretty good. Just, you know, having the best quarantine summer that one could probably have. How are you doing? I've been, you know, all healthy, all good. Um, How much of the European soccer did you watch before MLS began? I didn't really get to see most of it. Feels like we've been, uh, we're getting ready to have uh, our third baby and we've been trying to get all these house projects in and entertain the, the first two kids and stuff. So this uh, MLS is back action has been like uh, kind of my reintroduction into sports. It doesn't really work for saying with two kids. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into the game, but, but first uh, I, I think we should mention the crew arrived to the stadium on Saturday um, in shirts that said black lives matter and was designed by Supporter Supply Apparel Company here in Columbus. And the uh, crew supporter section, the Nordec, worked on this initiative with the club. Then the club had the idea of using the design for a captain's armband for Jonathan Mensa. The players also wrote messages on the back of their jerseys, many of which had names of loved ones on there. You can read more about this and how it came together uh, on Dispatch.com. I wrote about it and talked to uh, the Nordec just to get a sense of how it all came together. Also, the t-shirts are on sale and proceeds go to the NAACP and Voice Now, which is a foundation established by former crew players Zach Steffen and Alex Cornelli. It's a coalition of athletes uh, using their platform to promote equality and racial justice, very similar to Black Players for Change in MLS. Chris, what have you just, before we get into, what have you just made kind of of these tributes and especially that that first game in the tournament how all the black players in the league um stood together on the field and had different messages of racial unity on their shirts i mean, it was it was great to see i mean it was uh you know obviously ever since the beginning of the league black players have been a huge part of it and it's been interesting to see them calling for change you know kind of making the case that you know, the, the culture of the league needs to better be to be more inclusive and uh, making the, the case for large scale social change. I think as a white person who's followed the league for so long, uh, probably some of what they are talking about has gone over my head. And so it's, it's been, it's been cool to see, you know, kind of have my eyes opened a little bit on that. And uh, I, I, 
I personally love to see uh, players standing up for what they believe in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's been really neat to see all the different leagues around the world, um, especially you kind of started. I'm not familiar with what Bundesliga did. I'm sure they did something, but you had the English Premier League. Every player had Black Lives Matter written on the back of their jerseys and they're different tributes from soccer leagues uh, around the world. And this one really kind of touched me. And I was, uh, like you said, as a white person, we can never truly understand um, the way black people do what this movement really is about, but we can all be allies in it. Mm-hmm. And I felt really proud of the league and the players. And hopefully the league continues to work with the black players for change and uh, doing some initiatives that are um, frankly due in time for sure. Now we'll get to the game after nearly an hour delay because of thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. It delayed the previous game between Atlanta United and New York Red Bulls. The crew and FC Cincinnati finally kicked off at 11.20 p.m. I believe it's the latest kickoff in MLS history. It certainly is for the crew. 27 minutes into the game, Lucas Zellerion opened the scoring with a just a simply stunning curling ball over the wall that caromed off the right post and in. Three minutes later, Jossie Zardes finished a pass from Eunice Mokhtar, who I thought had a really good game. Mm-hmm. And then Zardes scored again in the 49th assist there to Zellerion. Obviously, he was the star in the game. Then Mokhtar scored in the 60th minute with assists from Hector Jimenez, and Zellerion was given the hockey assist there as well mm-hmm. for a 4-0 victory. So before we dissect that, yesterday being Tuesday, we're recording today, Wednesday, July 15th, a day before the crew play the Red Bulls. Caleb Porter updated the media saying that Vito Warmhor would be out for the rest of the tournament. He went down in the 13th minute with a right ankle injury, was helped off the field by team personnel, put zero weight on that ankle whatsoever. Uh, a really classy move by Adrian Regatton of FC Cincinnati uh, to kick the ball out. I think he could have scored, and I wouldn't have had a problem with that, but uh, I, I thought that was a very sportsman of him. And what Caleb Porter said is that Wormhor was sent back to Columbus because they believe the injury to be serious enough to be evaluated by team doctors. So he'll miss the rest of the tournament and whatever the schedule looks like, if there is a regular season after the tournament, it's unknown how much time he might miss depends on the severity of that injury. So just in the time being, you know, the, the crew is pretty deep at that position. In my opinion, I think Abubakar Keita has, although he's 20 years old, he's proven that he has a ton of potential and played pretty well and coming on for warm horror there. He also played against Seattle when warm horror was out with a rib injury earlier in the year. How do you think this injury will affect the crew moving forward in this tournament? I mean, obviously with uh, the quick turnaround between games, uh, any loss of depth is going to hurt, but the way Kata came in and played uh, on Saturday against Cincinnati was pretty impressive. I mean, I think I saw a stat that he, completed 96% of his passes or something like that. And it definitely should make the supporters feel a little bit better to see Kata come in and kind of like seamlessly take over for Wormhor. But he was a pretty big off-season pickup. Uh, so, to, so to have him out for the whole tournament uh, inevitably is going to hurt. Um, and it'll be – I think the, the real test will be, you know – 
kind of game two, game three, uh, as they have to do these quick turnarounds, uh, is that depth going to hold true? Um, it, you know, what's going to happen when Josh Williams is in there or, you know, when are they going to suffer another injury? So assuming that everybody can stay fit and uh, keep their energy level up, I don't think supporters should should have to to worry too much about it, but it's just like another complication on top of you know the existing injuries and the COVID situation. So maybe that's to be expected in a, kind of an intense tournament environment like this. But uh, if I'm Caleb Porter right now, I definitely am probably feeling like I, I have a lot to juggle. And uh, if I'm the players, I'm wondering at what point are we going to start feeling stretched thin? Yeah, and we'll talk about the depth coming up to this game on Thursday. Obviously, a big opportunity. The winner is six points in the group and, you know, virtually a lock. Uh, I don't think mathematically a lock, but, you know, you could say as a lock to go through the knockout stages. And oh, given yeah. that data played upwards of 80 minutes, I, I think you can expect that he won't play a full game this time just because of the long layoff and everything you had just mentioned. And we will talk about, then you also have, there were four players out with injury Saturday's game and one player who tested positive for COVID, which, you know, have been reported. Now it's two weeks since that Porter said Tuesday that the player, he said Saturday, the player had tested negative Tuesday. He, I asked again, just to get a clarification. He said the player is not yet back in training, but he is out of isolation And to see him in the next two games is, he said, would be a stretch because it's been 14 days Mm -hmm. since he was in training or anything of the sort. I would say even beyond those two games in the group stage, if the crew does advance to the knockout stages, it might be unlikely to see that player right away in that first game. Again, don't know the names of these players because... They, the club is worried about privacy, protecting the individual there. So I'm sure when everyone's back in training, we'll have more names and regular injury reports. Just wanted people to understand that. So what Porter said about these players hurt, though, is that they probably won't be ready for Thursday's game, which would, I assume, include Pedro Santos and Milton Valenzuela, who were out for Saturday's game. Your hope would then be that they're ready for that third game whenever they come back, it will be a dose of more depth and much needed too. I like the way Yunus Mokhtar played in the middle there in place of Santos playing in the pockets, but you got to believe when they have to rotate, if Zal Rayan is out, having Santos in there is going to be very, very crucial. Oh yeah. So, and something Porter mentioned, if they win this tournament, come back and they're all hurt, he wouldn't see this, that as a big success given that there's a regular season after, and then they're having to dig into their depth, the same issues they had last year. So are you at this point with the depth and the injuries they've already had? Well, the fact that it's such a quick turnaround is the the biggest question mark for me, because like, like you said, Santos, uh, you would want to see him available uh, to spell Zellerion and, it's like Adi hasn't, you know, he, he wasn't on the bench either in the last game. Uh, so the, the only forward 
that was on the bench was Miguel Berry, uh, who obviously is uh, a rookie coming in with, with not much experience to speak of. So we, we don't have a lot to go on in terms of like what kind of a job he would do uh, subbing in for Zardes or even starting in place of Zardes. It's hard to imagine when you're coming up against what, what seems to be the toughest matchup of the group just based on the prior results and everything. It's tough to imagine that they're not going to start some of these key players again, like Zardes, El Rayon, Mensa. And so, yeah, it's like my biggest concern is that those guys, those kind of core guys are going to get fatigued, are going to run that risk of injury that uh, we alluded to. And it's like, I'm also thinking about, you know, Nagby, he's the kind of player where you don't end up calling his name a lot because he, he excels, you know, if he's doing his job, then you're going to not really notice him. Uh, but like, you know, is somebody like Chris Cadden going to be able to come in and replace Nagby, give Nagby a break? Um, is somebody like Etienne going to be able to come in and do what Mokhtar was doing? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think this is going to be the real test of the depth because um, Porter says that they're deeper, you know, in the, in the press conference last week, he said it's a much deeper team than it was last year. Um, but, uh, you know, at this point with the amount of injuries, we're going to really see um, the people who are on the bench in the first game are going to, there's basically no way around asking them to perform up to the level of the first team. That's just going to have to be the case or else I think that, I mean, that that's going to be the difference between whether the New York game uh, is, you know, a resounding, a resounding success or like kind of a back down to earth moment. Yeah. I think getting out of it with a draw would be, a, a very strong result given everything you just said. We should say these aren't long-term injuries. Given the short turnaround, it's more of an issue um, because I think if this were regular rest, regular scenario where you've been playing all year, it wouldn't be as much of a problem. Right. And Porter said he has to be really careful with that midfield trio of Zellerayon, Artur, and Nagby because you to still have the spine of your team. You aren't very deep in the central midfield with Aiden Morris and Sebastian Berhalter. Two rookies from the academy are really your only backup there in the central midfield. Given the short turnaround, I think you got to play some of those, but you do run that risk of injury. So it's just kind of what, how much risk are you willing as a coach to accept in order to still have at least a little bit of core of your team and try to get a good result here. Right. Um, But we'll touch on that some more. Let's get to the game. I just want to ask this general question. Was the crew that good or was Cincinnati that bad? I think it's a little bit of both. And I think the crew executed where they needed to. And then you had the hydration break. It just looked like Cincinnati wanted to get on the bus from there. But do you think the crew was that good or Cincinnati that bad? I mean, certainly you're right that uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, if you look at the first two crew goals, it's like the the first one was just like excellence. I mean, Zellerion. I think you saw a crew goal like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you kind of get used to 
going over the free kicks going over the bar getting into the hitting the wall or whatever i mean even there haven't been that many times throughout crew history when they've had a player consistently scoring those crazy free kicks i mean like when people first came in he was converting those fairly often um and obviously there's the scaloto era but like i think back to like robert barziha um, he had some free kick screamers, uh, but then he also was very well known for sending him over the bar, sending him sky high. But uh, so, you know, to have uh, Zella Ryan come in and, and just like score the best goal of the tournament so far, something that like basically no team would have been able to stop. I mean, that that's just like, that's a major endorsement to the idea of the crew uh, really actually playing great in this game. And that that's kind of like the prime example of it. But then you look at the Zardes goal right after it and the marking by Cincinnati was just awful. Um, and so it, it's like, yes, the competition was pretty weak. Um, but like all things considered, uh, the crew has to be pretty happy with how they played. Um, and it's like, okay, maybe this was a 4-0 win against Cincinnati and it would have been a 2-0 win against uh, a stronger opponent. That's what I like to think. Yeah, and here's a quote from Porter after the game who seemed to understand the team executed, but they were certainly superior to the opponent, which to your point, all things considered, you want to show and 126 days off, even if it's not the best performance, you still want to show that um, you can execute in certain areas. And what he said was, as I told the players, this is only a start. We got a lot more work to do and they should feel good today, but tomorrow it's back to work. We're going to keep it pretty business-like and make sure we come the next game against New York and then against Atlanta. By no means is this anything we should be celebrating too much. I think kind of coded in that was, okay, I'm happy about this result, but these next two games are going to be really tough. And let's just transition to talk about Zellerin, who this is exactly what you want to see in the first three games of his crew. And certainly that first game back, I I've watched about half of the games so far. And the first 20 minutes of the game was about what I had expected guys, certainly feeling it out, but Mm -hmm. I mean, El Ryan looked like he hadn't missed a beat and, you know, whatever the crew was, we'll find out in these next two games. Sure. I'm going to temper the expectations and I hope fans do too, but whatever they have been doing and the months off, uh, it looks like these guys are in fairly good form compared to the rest of the league. So I want to ask you, is this, like peak Zella Ryan, is this like a, the best type of performance MLS MLS cup birth on the line? Is this the type of performance you should expect to see from this guy? I mean, we're, we're working with a pretty limited set of information here, but like based, based on all the action that we've seen, it's like he obviously just was like balling out of control against Cincinnati. Uh, but even you know, in the season opener, he had the goal against New York City and uh, was clearly the best player on the field then, too. Um, so uh, it, it definitely bodes well for the idea of how how is he going to play 
when there are some major stakes. If you're a crew fan or if you're, you know, in the crew front office, you got to be pretty happy about the big spending paying off. It, it's, it looks like the big spending is paying off. So I, it's hard to believe after watching him in these, these few games that he has played that he's just going to like wilt when the pressure's on. What do you think? I mean, that that's exactly my point. Um, I'm certainly not suggesting that, you know, we should expect this type of performance from Zellerae on every point. My point in saying, you know, a, a conference final is that you want your number 10 to have a goal and two assists in a mm-hmm. game like that. And, and that's what he did here. He certainly was the best player on the field. I think you should expect to see that. It's not going to be every game and he needs help around him for sure. But I mean, to that point as well, Jossie Zardes clearly needs people like Lucas Celerion. Mokhtar played well. Uh, Diaz was threatening down the line. I think you're going to see this team just in general because of Lucas Celerion. He makes everyone else better, which then will make your top goal scorer better. Yeah, absolutely. So the crew will enter Thursday's game uh, with three points like we said tied with the Red Bulls in goal, dif- in goal differential is the first tiebreaker. Uh, the crew are ahead there, uh, plus four to plus one. Red Bulls, you know, they just eked out a result. That's what they do. They're a kind of scrappy team that capitalized on opportunities. We're able to beat a Joseph Martinez list Atlanta United. But this game, like we said, pretty much guarantees um, – the crew will go through to the next stage if they win. So just for reference, first place in the group, uh, group E would be you're playing second place of group D in that first knockout stage, which is Minnesota, Colorado, Salt Lake, or Kansas City. Second place in group E would be winner of group F, which is probably the one you want to avoid given that LAFC, although Carlos Vela is not playing in the tournament, you have LAFC, LA Galaxy, Houston, and Portland. And then there are a lot of possibilities if the crew get a wild card. The crew will, as we said, rotate in this match. And I, I think the trickiest part, as we said, was what do you do with that midfield trio, Zellerion, Artur, and Nagby? I mean, you had some national media after the game saying they might be the best kind of midfield three in the league, maybe behind LAFC. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What would you do with the lineup here? I think at bare minimum, you have to start one of Artur Nagby and then bring the other two off the bench, um, even if you don't start Zellerion. Cadden probably gets a start, but Waylon Francis was a player not available. Uh, as you mentioned, the forward position is tough. H- how, how do you manage for this game while also looking ahead to that third match against Atlanta? I'm glad I don't have to make the call. Uh, it's it, it's pretty confusing to think like, because 
you got to consider so many different factors. You got to consider that long-term health. You got to consider which match seems more winnable. Um, do you want to try to uh, send your best possible lineup out again and kind of go for that, that six points after two matches and be able to kind of take the gas off a little bit in the third match um, and, or you kind of hang back and put, you know, kind of conservatively cycle more players into the lineup and just with the understanding that you may not have your strongest lineup on the field, but you've got, you know, still the Atlanta match looming as a chance to pick up more points. Um, I doubt Caleb Porter is going to just say, I'm okay with uh, sending out an inferior lineup, but uh, as far as who's going to be able to play, I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining that Zardes is going to go a full 92 games in a row. There's no way. Yeah. And so do you start, maybe he starts Miguel Berry and uh, just gives him a chance to see what he can do to show what he can do. And uh, Zardes comes on at the half or something like that. Um, as far as the midfield goes, yeah, I think Cadden. They <laughs> there was that whole drama with is Cadden actually going to come to Columbus or not? I mean, they they uh, right they, they made a, a they they went through some hoops to actually like get him here. So I, I would expect to get to see him out on the pitch in this upcoming match. Uh, but if if I'm Porter, it's like, am I really going to start this game with both Zardes and Zellerion on the bench? That seems highly unlikely to me. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. And I expect Etienne to probably get a start. You can have your winger who stretches the opponent. The, the tough part for me is on the other winger spot, given that Santos might not play. Mm-hmm. Mokhtar is your pocket guy. Porter has said a lot that he likes the balance between having a guy in the pocket and a guy who stretches. I certainly think having Diaz come off the bench, say he comes on in the 60th minute, will hopefully give the crew the lift you need to either scrap out a point or get that go-ahead goal. That seems to be kind of the obvious thing. I think forward is uh, certainly the trickiest spot. And you might be looking at Miguel Berry getting his his first appearance for the crew. Uh, so th- those are a few things I'll be watching for sure. Uh, I have put this down as a 1-1 draw. I think the crew have enough talent depth-wise to eke out a draw. Now, let's be honest, the Red Bulls are probably going to rotate some as well. The crew yeah. just have a little more difficulty with the injuries that the crew were healthy, I would say they probably win this match. I just believe in the depth that they have created. We we have very small sample size, but if I, I'm going to weigh the preseason a little bit, I think they looked very sharp mm-hmm. um, both squads in the preseason. So do you have a predict- prediction at all? Yeah, I, I think that draw, I, it the, the crew hasn't lost yet in 2020. So, uh, I'm not going to bet against them. Uh, but all things considered the, the draw definitely seems like the most likely outcome given 
the strength of Red Bulls. Um, one thing that I meant to mention that I haven't gotten to mention yet uh, is I would like to see the scoring spread around a little bit. Uh, like, obviously, you want your number 10 and your your striker to be accounting for a lot of your offense. Uh, but I just remember there was a season not that long ago where it was like Iguain, Zardes, and Justin Merrim accounted for the vast majority of the goals. Um, and you, you contrast – it, it was a, a year when the offense was really struggling. You contrast that with like the 2008 MLS cup championship team. They had goals coming from all over the field. Uh, and literally just about everyone on the team scored at one point or another. And so it's like, yeah, definitely you want to see Zardes racking up the goals. You want to see Zellerion mixing it up. Uh, but I think that it's going to be really crucial to see other team, you know, other, other players on the team kind of, uh, contributing to that barrage of goals. And so it, definitely cool to see Mokhtar involved so much in, in the last match, uh, would, would be really interested to see who else is going to step up and, uh, put some balls in the net. Uh, and I know that that Porter kind of teased all last year that like his teams tend to score goals and uh, it didn't really materialize last year, but now maybe, maybe it is starting to materialize. And uh, I think that if we can see goal support coming from beyond just the people who you expect to see scoring goals, then it could be a really exciting season. And it did start to materialize toward the end of last year, ending on that 11 games of points within the final 13 games, one of which was a game at Red Bulls, which, funny enough, you you mentioned the depth. I'm writing about that for tomorrow as the game preview and mentioning that game, how it kind of was a turning point in, okay, fans starting to see what the future of this club could look like. There are a lot of new faces versus who was on that game day roster for that game. Um, but I, I'm not too concerned about spreading it around. I think Mokhtar is almost the X factor there. And uh, we, we don't know if Santos is going to have a follow-up to last yeah, year's yeah. 11 goals and seven assists. I don't expect that, but I think five to eight goals is what you would hope from him. They have so many guys just going to the box and, and Diaz is Diaz, yeah. very aggressive. Um I think he probably just needs to learn the game a bit more and, and read maybe some open passing lanes. It seems like every time the ball is on his foot, he wants to put it in the back of the net, which is great when you have a 21-year-old 20, guy. And then Artur looks more offensive as well. He had a couple good looks at goal this game. So right. I think you are seeing some implementation of that more aggressive mindset. And, and Artur, I think I've noticed it most in. Yeah, I think you're right. And there is also, I mean, we, we've seen uh, like on set pieces, guys like Mensa and Josh Williams come through with scoring in the past. Um, seen Harrison Offal uh, kind of darting up from, from the right back position to score goals in the past. 
So uh, the potential is definitely there for that kind of like those contributions from all over the, the field. Um, I'm just excited to see that materialize. Absolutely. And just to give a rundown of the standings for the MLS's back tournament, Group A, which is Orlando, Philly, Miami, and New York City, Orlando and Philly have two wins each. They're atop of that group. In Group B, Chicago, this is the strange one because they had to kind of reshuffle them after Dallas and Nashville dropped out. So Chicago moved from Group A to Group B. They have one win. They're atop the group. San Jose has a draw against Seattle. And Seattle has one loss as well to Chicago, whereas Vancouver has yet to play a game because they were going to play Dallas first. They play today on Wednesday. Group C, through one game, New England is atop of that after a win against Montreal. And then D.C. and Toronto tied. We'll come back to that one. Group D, Salt Lake and Minnesota have a win each over Kansas City and Colorado. And then Group E, like we said, Columbus and New York. Group F, Portland has a win over, over the Galaxy, Houston and LAFC tied. So that's what the groups look like right now. And we'll just conclude going back to that DC Toronto game, Federico Higuain, I think maybe some crew fans shed some tears when they saw him trot out in the black and red, Uh, but he came out. Did you shed some tears? Well, I mean, it's definitely see, I'm thinking back to like being uh, in middle school, watching the crew hating DC United uh and so th- that that's a little bit painful but uh, to see him excel against toronto that uh kind of softens the blow a little bit absolutely and i i'm really stoked for the guy i wish i gotten to know him him more before he did leave i i did watch him in a little pickup he played um at the name's escaping me now but the facility up in pal that the crew would have some trainings at uh when the weather was you know freezing the training fields at obets it was his first game he had actually played pairing the acl and uh you could just see he still has the spirit of the game but he made his debut appearance first came back from that injury last may in the 80th minute against toronto and scores four minutes and just an absolutely lovely chip over the keeper He wasn't on the ball a ton. I thought he was more playing kind of that forward position, but he clearly made an impact. And DC was down a man and came back from two goals down to tie it 2-2. I've never really asked you at the time, Chris, what was your thoughts on the way the crew handled Iguain's exit? I think uh, it's understandable that uh, they didn't want to kind of bet on him long-term coming off of the injury, especially when they had somebody like Zellerion coming in who was younger. I think that it's completely reasonable they, the way they handled it, but knowing that he he desires to be, you know, he's, he's playing that role of player coach in D.C., uh, there's definitely a part of me that's like, man, uh, I wish they could have worked out some kind of deal with him uh, where he acknowledged that he was going to be kind of taking a back seat to uh, Zellerion and kind of stepping into more of a uh, a, a coaching kind of uh, elder statesman role. Um, but when, 
when he's uh, been one of the core guys for so long and he's coming off that injury, uh, you can see why why the team would be wary of making a big investment in him that deep into his career coming off that severe of an injury. So uh, all told, it's like you can't really fault the crew for how it was handled, even if on like a sentimental level, it would have been nice to see him finish out his career in Columbus. I, th- I think you're right there. And, and I will not knock any crew fans that are bitter about the way the club handled it just because of how much Iguain has meant to the club. You would have had liked to see them honor Iguain in some way. And maybe they do that in the future. It's, it's a difficult situation. And I think you hit it on the head. And I've said this before, and I'll just say it again. The question for me is, did Iguain's priorities change from when he told the crew toward the end of the year that he still wanted to play? Was he willing then to accept a lesser role if offered to him? Or did that kind of change as the offseason drew closer to an end and the only opportunity left for him was maybe a smaller role. And then on the crew side, I don't think you can have Iguain on the team without making it Zellerayon's team. Meaning if Iguain was still with the crew, you would still have this club legend for all things considered while you're trying to issue in this new era of the club with a new face of the club. I don't think you would have been able to do that. So I think that is probably what the crew were thinking is they wanted this to be Zellerion's team and move on. They, they certainly were appreciative and never have, I have sense that they don't understand why fans love Iguain and why he meant so much to the club. Um, that being said, I don't fault any fans if they feel bitter about it, but Glad, glad he's having success. Um, sorry to the crew fans. It has to be on DC United, but I think everyone in general is just happy he's uh, back on the field there. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, let's see, Thursday, a day from today, 10.30 p.m. on FS1. The crew will play New York Red Bulls, followed Tuesday um, by a game against Atlanta United at 8 o'clock. The only English broadcast in the U.S. will be on Twitter the handle is at TUDNUSA. Uh, MLS also posts that atop their Twitter feed as well. Uh, the games are on uh, 97.1, the fan as well, broadcast by Chris Doran. So there are some options there. And then the crew has some interactive experiences that, from, from what I heard, went pretty well this week. So, uh, Chris, anything you want to plug before um, I say thank you for joining us and, and we end this thing? You know, I, I don't have any crew-related stuff to plug. My day job as a music critic is for a music blog called Stereogum.com, and we're doing a crowdfunding thing. So if, you, if you're into supporting that, uh, we have, we're selling a, a pretty cool compilation of indie artists' recorded cover songs exclusively for us. So save Stereogum.com. What are some artists you're listening to now? I really like the new Haim album. Oh, they're great. Also, uh, kind of phonetically similar, I like the new Hum album. <laughs> it's a Midwest, uh, Illinois-based space rock band. They just came back after 22 years. Um, so that's like real heavy, churning, riff rock. And yeah, I mean, I could talk about new music I've been loving for quite a long time. The Phoebe Bridgers album, if you're into like sad, kind of 
indie ballads. That's doesn't get much better than that. You ever talk Rolling Stones with Peepa? No. Is he is he a big Stones guy? A huge huge Stones fan. It's it's been written about several times, and he'll wear very '80s rocker like attire when he's not playing, and he he owns a couple Stone shirts, I believe. You know, there was a time before. Uh, so the the Stones last season uh, were supposed to be on a, a tour that got postponed because of uh, Mick Jagger having surgery. There was, I, I remember there was some weekend when the crew was set to play in Houston the same weekend that the Stones were supposed to be playing in Houston. And uh, my wife's uncle lives down there and I was toying with the idea of, oh, maybe I'll fly down and catch the crew game and go, catch the Stones show. Um, but then the, the Stones show ended up getting postponed and the plan kind of fell apart. But uh, I'm sure Pippa must have been disappointed about that development as well. Yeah, the, that's the next thing the former Save the Crew folks ought to do is get Mick Jagger to hold up a, a Save the Crew. They already got, what was it, Bismarcky and yeah. Jurgen Klopp. So I think he's maybe the next one there. Chris, thanks for joining us, watching the, the rest of the way here. And, and we'll try to have you back on. I appreciate it. For, yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. For the rest of you, uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Soccer Speakeasy. Patrick, kick us out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.